This is Keyshawn Rains, the host of Working Title with Keyshawn Rains, where amazing things happen. A series of past the collection plate style conversations with a Creole, queer, femme, yogi, mom, coach, author, and of course, podcast host with a nomadic soul, a quirky sense of humor, and an activator of empowerment. These conversations are just a chance for me to speak on ways to be mindful in a mindless world. Stories are shared, folks are empowered, inspired, and impacted to be more phenomenal versions of themselves through simple conversations about complex like love, life, and the pursuit of being real. Thanks for listening. So today's episode is special and timely. For the last couple of days, I've been seeing posts on social media about this new Netflix documentary, and I've been sitting down planning to watch it for some time, and this evening I just happened to turn it on and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and watch it. And within the first five minutes, I hear this voice, and I literally had to pause the movie and say, wait a minute, I know that voice. And then as soon as I paused it, I see his face flash up on the screen. The episode that I'm going to play for you now was actually recorded last August, a whole year ago. And the guest is someone that I had the pleasure of meeting during quarantine. He was residing in the same building as I was, and we happened to be in a co-working space together and just started conversing. And he shared with me a little bit of his story, which was so compelling and so interesting to me. And he asked if we could meet again, and I invited him to be a guest on my podcast. So last August, he and I sat down and had an open and sincere dialogue about his advocacy, specifically around food safety. So this episode that you're about to hear was recorded in August of 2022. And the reason I'm releasing it now is just in honor of my guest and in honor of his son. So today's guest is Dr. Darren Detweiler. He is a well-respected food safety academic, advisor, advocate, and author, and for nearly 30 years, he's played a unique role in controlling foodborne illness. And the documentary that sparked my attention to publish this episode now is called Poisoned, and it's on Netflix if you're into that. So sit back, get comfortable, take a couple of long, deep cleansing breaths, and get ready for another episode. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm so glad to be back here having another great conversation. It's been it's been a while since uh, myself and today's guests actually sat down to talk to each other face to face. And I just would say our schedules and, and life and things happening in between have made it so that we can finally, finally, finally sit down and record this lovely conversation. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you, my guest, and ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners by sharing your name, where you're from, and what you stand for. Sure. Well, my name is Dr. Darren Detweiler, and I'm currently from the greater Los Angeles, California area. And I stand for, um, I I guess I stand for food safety and consumer education and um, 
and two things. One is trying to prevent as many parents from living with a chair forever empty at their family table due to failures in food safety. And then finally, um, this notion that we'll talk about here, I guess, today is that uh, I lost a son due to a failure in food safety. Um, but that does not mean that my son has to have lost his father. And that's really driven a lot of the work that I've done over the last 30 years. Mm. Well, I want to say as a parent, I can't imagine the the feeling of, of loss of a child. I think that's the one thing that every parent, from the time that your, our children are born, they come into the world, we kind of look at ourselves and say, we've got one job, if, if nothing else, and that's to make sure that our children grow to be old. And, and sometimes that doesn't happen. And I think that in moments like that, I'm sure parents go through a litany of different emotions and feelings and thoughts and ideas, asking themselves, could this have been prevented? Was there something else I could have done? And so what struck me about the first time that I got to sit down and talk with you, Darren, was you sharing what that last piece is that you just mentioned that just because I lost a son doesn't mean that my son had to lose a father. And I think that for parents who have experienced the loss of a child, some fall into a category where they remain lost, you know, forever and, and then nothing ever recovers. And then other parents find themselves, I would say, in a lane with someone like you where they create an opportunity to prevent other parents from experiencing what they did. So would you mind sharing a little bit more about, about what happened with your son and how it led to the work that you're doing now to create more awareness and activism around food safety? Sure. Uh, well, back in 1993, I was a nuclear engineer on a submarine in the Navy, and I was transitioning to uh, off of the submarine to, to do other work. And we had heard news about this outbreak of E. coli. And mind you, in, 30, in 1993, 30 years ago, no one ever really heard about E. coli. This was not something we talked about. And as more information came out, it was, okay, it was associated with hamburgers. Well, let's not eat hamburgers. Okay, well, the outbreak seems to be centered in Seattle. Okay, so let's avoid Seattle and let's not eat hamburgers in Seattle. And then it was associated with a jack-in-the-box restaurant. And so it was, okay, well, let's not eat jack-in-the-box hamburgers in Seattle uh, or anywhere, you know, kind of a scenario. And I was more concerned about my nine-year-old at the time, uh, nine-year-old stepson, um, because my 16-month-old son, he'd never eaten a hamburger. We never took him to you know, a fast food restaurant and said, here, have a hamburger kind of a thing. Um, but uh, I went to pick up my 16 month old son from daycare one day. And there was a, a flyer, a, a, a piece of paper, if you will, taped to the door mm -hmm. at the daycare center. And this was across, this daycare center was across the street from the hospital. Uh, and nearby was the health department. And, and um, so it was a little odd to see that notification. And it basically said that there was a child in the daycare facility that had tested positive for E. coli to look out for these symptoms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that doesn't catch you, the fact that that night we saw those symptoms in my son. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, we took him to the doctor, but it took 48 hours at the time to, to have a test result uh, to determine that, yes, he was sick from E. coli. Those test results came back and we're seeing his condition worsening. And, you know, we're still thinking that, you know, this will blow over. This is a strange occurrence kind of a, a deal. Uh, but he was getting worse. Eventually he was airlifted to the Children's Hospital about 90 miles away in Seattle. 
and put into pediatric intensive care unit. And then they, um, he was, you know, getting worse and then, and they, they performed surgery and ultimately removed the majority of his, his colon. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had developed hemolytic uremic syndrome, which is a horrible condition uh, that something like this can develop, uh, can, can, can result in. He was on dialysis, which for a 16 month old was, was, um, you know, they had to bring in special equipment and, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm looking as a father, um, you know, here, here's this little boy with his little hair and he's, he's completely dwarfed by all these tubes and wires and machines. And here's something I'm just learning about and I can't even explain it to him. And I'm thinking, I'm going to clip, well, there's some articles about this and no, look, I'm being interviewed. And, and uh, so, you know, we had people that were clipping articles and photos and stuff. And, and cause I was always thinking that I would be able to, you know, tell him later um, about how brave he was and, and how he, got through this, but in less than 30 days from finding out those symptoms, you know, the doctors at that point had been saying, we know that you're aware that the, you know, the numbers and the indicators have been getting worse and worse. And we're at a point where there's no oxygen getting to his major organs, including his brain. And, and, um, um, you know, he's essentially, you know, the recovery is impossible at this point. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, going from that moment of, uh, it's a bit of a blur, even 30 years later, um, yeah. you know, he, in one sense, he's taken off all the tubes and wires and he's wrapped in a blanket and handed to us. Um, and we're able to hold him again. Um, and, you know, a doctor and a nurse tells you that he's, he's not alive, but mm-hmm. you keep thinking he's going to open his eyes. These, mm-hmm. You're going to see his chest rise. You're going to feel his breath on your, on, on your skin or whatever. And then the next minute, you're watching a group of strange men carrying the world's smallest white coffin mm. at a funeral. And uh, then the next minute, you're on the phone talking with President Bill Clinton, who you had previously talked to when your son was alive. And here he is calling you from Air Force One and saying, like, father to father, what are we going to do about this? And I was, at the time, my, my thought was, you know, there's, there's got to be something we can do to improve this. But at the time, again, in 1993, I never thought that 30 years later, I would still be be working on this. Mm-hmm. I've had 30 years of processing guilt and grief at the same time, watching a seemingly endless cycle of crisis and reform when it comes to food safety and talking with other parents who have buried children or whose children in a hospital and um and I had to make a major change in my life. And um, you know, maybe that's one of the things we'll talk about in terms of how I changed my profession yeah. and changed my outlook on, on um, what my role was all in, in all of this mm-hmm. um, to try to become someone who is, 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 is healthier um, than I was in the past in terms of this, this, this process. Right. When I think about moments when, you know, my, my son is, I have one son and he is almost 21 years old. And just the other day he sends me a text and says, mom, you know, I'm not feeling well. And I said, you know, you get a COVID test and, you know, help me keep track of your symptoms. And if it gets worse and, you know, kind of giving them the motherly advice, what you do when you have a a sick child and 
even in those moments, knowing, you know, he's, he's going to be fine. He's, he's going to be okay. It's probably just a cold. It'll just blow over. And then to have that moment so rapidly be gone, you know, for you as a, as a father. And then, like you said, to receive the phone call from then president Bill Clinton saying, what do we do? You know, in that moment, when those kinds of questions were being asked, did you have strategies in mind? Did you have plans in mind? Or, or when did you transition from being in a place of, of extreme and severe grieving and regret to being in a place where you could actually be an activist to be able to support and inform other parents about these food safety issues? I definitely think that there's, there's phases. I mean, you know, I was, I was looking at it very scientifically and in terms mm -hmm. of leadership mm -hmm. you know literally still um um being fresh out of my my military uniform um at that point and realizing you know you don't have to be in a uniform to be of service to others and to your nation even um and then you kind of go through the these these various stages or phases you know at first you're you're dealing with denial and um, because of some media coverage at the time, you know, it's like you could, I, I felt like I couldn't go anywhere or do anything without people looking at me and judging me. And, and, um, and then, um, you know, I became a teacher. I actually taught in uh, high school, middle school for about 16 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for a while there, there was the, I, I was trying to be an advocate for, for food safety. And I was given this message over and over again that A, you know, you shouldn't bring an emotional perspective to, to a, a policy issue. Mm. Um, you know, so there are people in the food industry initially that were doing anything they could to avoid my involvement. Mm. The irony is that those same individuals, those same entities, um, now invite me to be a part of the conversation. Mm. Uh, there was an article I wrote for the New York Times that talked mm. about how, um, you know, I was working with some producers uh, to do like one of those TV movies. Mm -hmm. And we got to a point where um, the process was brought to an abrupt end because we were told there wasn't enough sex and violence to sell the story to a uh, market and that it wouldn't be right to tell it, um, you know, from a, it would be better if it was from a single mother's point of view, or mm. if I, as the father, decided to um, resort to doing drugs or, or got a gun and shot up. Something violent uh, or something. Uh, yeah. Exactly. It's like, okay, but that's not, I'm sorry that this story isn't enough, right. you know, to do that. And there was some shock that that was, you know, did they really say that? And, and uh, um, the New York Times and Good Morning America end up validating that yeah that's actually what they said mm -hmm. that these executives said and so it was it was a wild period of time where you're trying to say you know look there's there's more to this story that people need to know it wasn't just a, a um, you know a one-time thing when you're seeing this happen over and over again right there was a time however about 10 years ago mm -hmm. I was a I was a teacher and uh, it was the 20th anniversary and I had students, I was teaching U.S. history, and we were looking at reform in America. Mm -hmm. And I had students doing a lot of different work, looking at current data, looking at uh, the jungle written by Upton Sinclair, looking at other things. Mm -hmm. And I literally had like the ABC and the NBC affiliate 
cameras rolling in my classroom. We had had doctors and lawyers and journalists talking and, and my, my students had no idea what my involvement was. And one of the journalists okay. kind of revealed this and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and with laptops, the students were able to find out in five seconds, my entire story. Right. But it was this moment when a student raised her hand and she goes, Mr. D, if you were so involved in food safety back then, and there's still such a problem with food safety today, then why are you just a history teacher? Mm. And it was, it was quite eye-opening. And I literally, that was the beginning of my, when I resigned from, from teaching mm. and I, uh, I moved from the Seattle area to Boston right. and uh, I finished my, my doctorate, uh, my doctorate in law and policy that focuses on this. And I began, you know, working on policy, but then was also drawn back to working on this at the university level so mm -hmm. that um, I can really play a role in shaping the next generation of food safety experts and leaders. And, but I think that my biggest takeaway from these, these changes and what I was going through is that mm -hmm. I was learning more about it and I was learning how I could be part of yeah. the solution. I mean, there's not going to be, I'm not going to have a time machine. Right. So no matter what I do, I can't go back, go back. Right? right? And I can't invent a cure. And even if I could invent a cure, I'd still have to have that time machine right. to, to use the cure. So why not try to say, look, is there a way to help make sure that A, the consumer's perspective is invited to those tables when right. we talk about this and B that I do whatever I can to help make sure that anyone who plays a role in preventing future failures mm -hmm. has a better understanding of the true burden of this disease more so than just numbers and statistics mm -hmm. but real stories right. and you know talking with those families who have buried children and you know, being asked to tell so many other families story and to share mm -hmm. the picture of their child or, mm -hmm. you know, whether they uh, died or not. And in many cases they recovered, but they'll never have a life or a quality of life that was anything like it was before they before. were sick. Right. And uh, to be asked to share their story uh, with, with industry leaders uh, has been both a, um, an honor and a, and a privilege and, and a great deal of responsibility. Mm -hmm. But all this taking place at a time where it was doing me so much good, mm -hmm. like, like mental and, 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 and I don't wanna say spiritual, there's a mm -hmm. lot of different ways I could look at this, but you know, my, 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 my mental and overall health, being able to say, there's a way for me to process this and, um, did you ever watch a movie called Highlander? Yes. Way back in the day. Mm -hmm. Remember that incredible soundtrack by Queen? Yes. I love Queen. Right? Mm -hmm. So the Highlander has this issue where, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. he, uh, he's immortal and he outlives mm -hmm. everyone and he outlives even the people he loves. loves. And yeah. he falls in love with a woman and we end up seeing her age. Uh, and there's a song um, in, in, um, um, this whole idea of, I don't, you know, who wants to live forever. Right. And this, this line about, it's always a rainy day without you. Mm. And that has stuck with me for about 30 years. Mm. And the idea that, yes, I can always look at it as being always a rainy day, yeah. um, having lost a son. Mm -hmm. But I also know that there's some days where I'm able to say, 
that rain is it's as if it's outside the windows and I can yeah. see it out there and inside here, I can be productive. I can be successful. I can be moving that needle in terms of improving things for other people, mm-hmm. but I can still look outside that window and see that it's raining. I don't have to let that rain stop everything that I'm doing uh, right. and, and literally render me useless right. in terms of still playing that role for my son. Oh yeah. I, I hear that loud and clear. I think that's when we sat down and spoke a while back, that was one of the things that that stuck with me that stood out to me about you as a person is the way that you were able to kind of transmute the the energy or the experience of grief into creating growth, creating transformation, creating awareness, creating education, and really creating change. Because I think when when people deal, you know, deal with grief or when they've deal they're dealing with loss. Like you mentioned earlier, there's different phases. There's the, the, the denial phase and the angry phase, and there's the, the woe phase. And sometimes people get stuck in one particular place and they remain there forever. Or like you mentioned, they're aware, yes, this loss happened. I'm no longer in denial about it. And I still have a choice. I can either lose myself along with this person or I can find myself through this loss and help others be able to move through it as well. Because I think not only with the activism that you are, that you are involved in around food safety, there's also an activism that I think is happening for parents who have lost children. You know, there's something in that space where you're modeling, this is what it can look like. This is what it can look like to move in the rain. Or like you mentioned, to see it's a rainy day outside, but I'm still being productive in here and I'm still guiding people and I'm still giving people hope and giving people more opportunity to be able to create change as well, which I think in and of itself is also another way of showing other folks, other parents in particular, things are not always going to be perfect. You know, things are going to happen. Like they say, like shit happens, you know, we can't always get around it, but sometimes we have to just move through it so that we can actually make sure that the memory or the legacy of those that we lost is something that people will be remembered for, that people will know, hey, you know what, this, this dad decided that instead of allowing himself to be consumed by grief to the point where it was paralyzing and nothing happened, decided to be able to use that almost as fuel you know, almost as a way to say, by by any means necessary, I'm going to make sure that I am a part of this policy change. So can you share with me a little bit about what your your experiences have been working with politicians and lawmakers and things like that? And have you been well-received? What are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome as, as a policy changer, you know, as a change maker, a trailblazer, I would say, in this world of creating more significant and lasting change around food safety and how it's affecting our children and how it's affecting us? Well, that, uh, first off, that's an incredible question. And I think it's an important one because, you know, you realize that those people who are, are elected officials or are appointed or, you know, they're, they're regulators at the federal level or at the state level, those people who are inspectors and auditors uh, public health officials, doctors, uh, those people who, you know, they're executives with food companies or, or they, they work the production line mm-hmm. or out in the fields, they're also all consumers. Yes. 
you know, and, but there is this, you know, there, there is a separation between if you look at the idea of the athletes on the field or on the court and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the fans and audience and the bleachers, um, we, we can all be fans of the game, mm-hmm. but history has kind of shown us that usually they don't let the spectators onto the court or onto the, to the field. They try to keep them separated. Mm-hmm. And 30 years ago, consumers were not considered as stakeholders in the food industry. They're considered right. to be, you know, the, the revenue drive, the, mm-hmm. the, these are the purchasers. Mm-hmm. And in terms of food safety, there's this unspoken element. You know, every time we hear about an outbreak or recall, it's reactionary. Yeah. It's never before someone gets hurt, it's after. Right. And in that way, consumers are, again, I used to be a history teacher, mm-hmm. kind of like canaries in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. An idea of we'll keep doing what we're doing until we find out that there's something wrong. Right. And rather than being proactive and finding indicators, you know, too many companies in terms mm-hmm. of rather than finding indicators before product goes out to consumers, mm-hmm. they'll wait until they get enough feedback or knock on the door from the health department or from lawyers uh, saying that there's something wrong here you need to stop. Right. So you know, it's, it, it, it wasn't the most obvious path, if you will, mm-hmm. to be this person who's, uh, I'm not, I'm not rich. I'm not famous. I'm not associated with a meat company. I don't have some executive title. I'm not appointed. And yeah. so, you know, why, why do you need to listen to me? Or why should I be part of that conversation on the table? I've been very fortunate to be invited by the secretary of agriculture mm-hmm. or invited or appointed by the secretary of agriculture to be invited to speak before legislators, uh, to be um, invited by the FDA to be involved in their events. Because these are people who not only believe that there needs to be this 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 story behind mm-hmm. you know the why mm-hmm. what are we doing this for right. um but you know i came to learn many years later that um and i mean seriously like 25 years mm-hmm. after my son's death mm-hmm. there were people who were coming up to me and saying hey you know i worked at the usda for all these years i worked at the fda and you know your son's photo is on our wall you know there's mm-hmm. times where we get stuck in meetings and and we literally will say the phrase what would riley's father do or what would darren do mm-hmm. um you know how would he approach this and it really i mean it was just it was very humbling yeah. and an emotional um good emotional yeah. gut punch, you know, in yeah. terms of the idea of, wow, you know, the, I, I don't have like a little bell that, that, that goes off every time someone is, right. is impacted by my work, but to, right. you know, to hear this, right. But it's also like this idea of, okay, there, there's gotta be now this, this level of, of, you know, responsibility in terms of what I do. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who they totally get me. There's other people who learn about me and they'll ask questions like, well, who's paying you to be here? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, no one's paying me to be here. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here at this event on my own. And I, you know, it's, it's out of my pocket. Right. Well, who's, who's sponsoring you? Um, me, um, yeah. you know, um, or, or, oh, so you just teach classes at a university where you talk about your, your, your dead son all the time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, actually, I rarely talk about that, but right. you know, 
there can be two different ways that an artist paints on their their canvas. An artist could paint the story of doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. And a, and, and a viewer can look at that and go, oh, that's that painting of when that artist lost his child or, right. you know, whatever happened to the, their family, right? Mm -hmm. There's also the artist that can say, look, there's a lot of other things I can paint, but my brush, the colors that I choose can be inspired by my experiences. And perhaps what I do with this is not uh, measured by what I have experienced, but mm -hmm. what I do with that experience. Mm. That's the road that I take. That idea of, of my job is not here to tell the story of my son over and over again. Mm -hmm. But if I want someone to play a positive role in, in, in food safety, if I want someone to help make sure that the next generation gets it right, mm -hmm. who am I to ask someone else to do that if I won't do that myself right and in doing that yes history can't be forgotten and history has to be a part of it mm -hmm. but then there's the call to action element right. right i hate to say this but it's the okay you've told me this gut-wrenching story so now what do i do What's now what do i do with this yeah right and there's something that i read mm -hmm. in the process of of getting one of my degrees mm -hmm. um it wasn't actually Upton Sinclair's jungle that this point comes from. Okay. It comes from, and I, this is back in the days of microfish. Yes, um, I remember. I found microfish. a microfish uh, <laughs> at, at the university library. And, mm -hmm. and, and um, it was this 1906 London Daily Times literary review of the jungle. Okay. And it starts off, I mean, it's because it was a book. It was a novel, a work mm -hmm. of fiction. So here's this literary review, but the, the, the person doing this review talks about how it's all too unfortunate that we have learned this to be very true. Mm -hmm. And here's what gets me, how, how incredibly relevant it was in 1906 and in 1993 and today in 2020. Mm -hmm. The guy wrote that the things described by Mr. Sinclair are happening yesterday and today and tomorrow mm -hmm. and the next day until some Hercules comes to cleanse the healthy, the, I'm sorry, uh, the things described by Mr. Sinclair are mm -hmm. happening yesterday, today, tomorrow, and the next day until some Hercules comes to cleanse the filthy stable. Mm. And I don't think he literally meant Hercules, you know, right? and especially in a stable and mm -hmm. especially in this world of Marvel and DC superheroes. Right. 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 So what does this mean? Well, perhaps it's a very poetic way of saying that food safety and other public health mm -hmm. issues require a Herculean effort. Yes. And so what is that? Well, I look at it as being an enormous amount of work, strength, and courage. Mm -hmm. And while technology and law and science and policy can really help with the, the work and the strength, mm -hmm. none of that can have anything of significance to add to courage. It's right. a very human element. Right. It's a very emotional element. And, you know, you, you brought up COVID, right? Mm -hmm. We've heard so much about COVID and we hear about businesses, re, you know, responding and mm -hmm. businesses recovering and, mm -hmm. and, and um, you know, economic trends, you know, where do we hear conversation in media about families recovering from from this, 
from loss, from recovery, but they're not fully recovered yet. Mm -hmm. They're going to live with lifelong medical conditions or the the psychological trauma of what they went through Mm -hmm. uh, being in the hospital and being on ventilators or, or not being able to be with their family members because they're in quarantine. When do we ever talk about that, that kind of you know, the, 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 the family, the, the individual, the psychological, the, the, the mental, the psyche element of, mm-hmm. of that recovery of those things. Mm-hmm. And while we're at that, that, that topic, right. you know, we talk about school shootings or just shootings in general. We talk about, um, you know, all these things found on, on police cams. We talk mm-hmm. about so many different things and, but we rarely talk about, you know, how are these families recovering now? How are these right. individuals um, processing these issues now? And mm-hmm. how are young children, because the majority of people impacted by food safety are, they're in this, this um, most vulnerable populations, the very young, mm-hmm. the very elderly, those who are pregnant or those with mm-hmm. compromised immune systems. Right. We don't often talk about Oh, that kid recovered four years ago, and now she's entering puberty. And how is she? You know, how is she uh, uh, doing? How right. is her family doing? Right. Um, there's a woman who I've talked to who her daughter recovered, mm-hmm. but will never walk or talk or, or be able to live the life of a, right. of, of a of a person her age. She's like forever cognitively stuck as a, as a four year old, mm. um, and this mother you know, people are like, oh, you must be so lucky your daughter lived. And she goes, I deal with immense guilt because right. I live with a daughter who is not the daughter that I had before right. this illness. And uh, I can't be, I can't blame anyone. I can't be guilty. And yet I feel guilty because I recognize that in a way my daughter did die. This is a different person. Mm-hmm. I talked with a woman who she thought she was doing the right thing when she was pregnant mm-hmm. and she was eating salads and she got sick from a salad that had contaminated lettuce yeah. and she ended up losing her child prematurely. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a nurse, right? Yeah. And, and one of the things that, that she told me about when she eventually went back to work because mm-hmm. she has to as a nurse right. is how she lives with knowledge that she wishes she never had. Mm. And we, again, I, I think that we, as a society, we hear a lot of news. We, we read a lot of news. We look mm-hmm. at a lot of, you know, social media things about these events, mm-hmm. which the, the, the kind of the, the crisis or the, um, the, the, um, um, you know, the, the newsworthy element of it, yeah. it, it pulls us together, it does. but then we kind of disperse and we don't really kind of have a moment to, to, to regather and kind of think about how did this impact a person, right. a family, mm-hmm. a community? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and what, what does that time since the event mean to me, even as an outsider mm-hmm. who's aware of this, but I need to process this and have some kind of closure or something that resembles closure. Mm-hmm. And yet we just move on. Right. And those conversations, especially around shootings, mm-hmm. around the idea of, oh, we'll just give our thoughts and prayers. And well, when are we going to have time to, to talk about uh, you know, laws and policies? Mm-hmm. And that, well, now is not the time. We've become a nation where it's like, well, now is not the time, but we have so many events. Right. It's just, do we have the events because we then we never have to make time to talk about these things? Right. And I look at food safety failures in the same way. There are so many 
failures in food safety, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like, um, I, I feel like a parent who lost a child due to being hit by a drunk driver and I'm forced to look out my living room window at the highway and see mm. accidents happen over and over again. And somehow society expects me to disassociate my right. past from what I'm seeing unfold right in front of me. Right. But I have to remember that it's not just me. It's everyone mm-hmm. has this weird kind of, it's like societal and media and political expectations to move on, mm-hmm. but we have to move on with with some kind of deliberate sense of, of healing. Yeah, absolutely. And I am still searching for that answer. And you know, the, the quote that you shared from the, the 1906 review of the jungle, we, I believe have gotten to a place as a society where we're no longer cleaning the stable. We're just burning it down and building a new one and burning it down and building a new one and burning it down and building a new one. We're not ever actually addressing the the filth, the stuff that's building up in the, the stable, you know, of our society. And we're just, like you said, we're moving on, we're stepping over it. You know, when I think about the the homeless and the unhoused communities that are growing in big cities like Los Angeles, where people are quite literally stepping over other human beings as if they're nothing, as if they don't matter. And it's, it can be so disheartening and much like the grief of, of a loss, it can be disheartening to grief the loss of our, our culture, our society. Where are we now? What are, who have we become? You know, is something that I often think about when we consider that there is this societal or this political or even maybe this cultural expectation that, you know, things happen and we just get over it. Things happen and we just move on. And I ask myself often, well, where, where are we going? You know, if we're moving on, we're moving forward, what direction are we moving into? And if we're moving in a direction that feels cyclical, we're going to end up right back where we started all over again, just in a matter of time. And it feels like we're just moving in these cycles of there's these, these small moments of celebration. Oh, look, we found a cure or did we, because now there's another one right behind it, or, you know, there's a pandemic and, and now there's another virus and there's another and another and another. And then really at what point do we sit back and truly evaluate what is the real issue here? And it seems like it's so simple. You know, when we think of food safety, we think of the food that we consume that go into our bodies. If there's chemicals or things in our food that are causing us to be sick, that are causing disease, that are causing death, why not just stop putting whatever that is into our food, guys? Like, how do we get around this? Or, or there's a part of me that often ask myself, who benefits when people die from unhealthy food? Who benefits when our food is unsafe? And, and how do we address those who's, whoever they are? And what does that actually look like? And what is their end game? And so when I think of this Herculean effort that I think each individual person has to activate, has to tap into in order to create genuine change, I look at people like yourself and say, okay, so like you mentioned the workers at the USDA who said, you know, we have a picture of your son and we ask ourselves, what would Darren do? You know, 
the work that you've been doing for the last 30 years, I can only imagine is, is, is heavy work, is strenuous work. And I want to ask, you know, I know you wear lots of hats as a professor and a speaker and an author and also a parent and an activist. How are you making sure that Darren is being taken care of throughout this process? What are some things that you're doing to sustain your own health and your own well-being that allow you to continue to do, to do the work that you're doing and make the impact that you're making? Uh, you know, I, I, I ask myself that question a lot. Um, unfortunately, martyr is my middle name. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, a grieving father, the, the, I, I will say this, learning that it was a failure. I mean, there are so many people who will lose a child and they'll never knew, they'll, they'll, they'll never learn what was the cause of this or who was mm. responsible for this. And in my case, um, I was able to learn the cause and, and who was responsible for this. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, that it, there was nothing I could have done to, to have prevented this. Um, and um, I also learned that it was unfortunate that even though the executives of that company admitted on camera that they broke state law mm. in what they did. Um, and, you know, we have a society where if you break a law and results in someone's death, that you're responsible for that death, but no state or federal charges were brought up against um, mm. that, that company for this. But times have changed, mm -hmm. right? But also have I, you know, I, I've been living with this um, and I have pushed myself to work for my family and, and for this, um, you know, to the extent where it's, it's taken a toll on, on my health and, mm -hmm. and a lot of, of my uh, existence. There was a time probably 12, 15 years ago mm -hmm. where if you were to have asked me, I would say I'm probably more likely to be found dead of a heart attack at my desk than I would be found, you know, retiring at some beach with a Mai Tai in my hand kind of mm. a deal. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's not just me personally. It, it, it is a relationship. You know, mm. my nine-year-old is now 30 years older. He's, he's going to be turning 40 next year. Uh, I have two other adult sons mm -hmm. who were born after this event. Mm -hmm. um, their mother and I se separated and divorced a number of years back. Mm -hmm. um, it was, we had stayed together for about 20 years mm -hmm. um, after the death of our son, um, but it was never a relationship that can recover uh, mm -hmm. having gone through an event like that. And I don't blame I don't blame anyone. I just mm -hmm. kind of blame the idea of there's a lot to carry mm -hmm. uh, with 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 um, having gone through a traumatic experience like that, and it's right. it's difficult for many, um, you know, many parents to 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 stay in a healthy um, uh, or, 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 or in a relationship that is as healthy as it was before the event. Of course, after the event, right. Um, I think that for me, dealing with this professionally mm -hmm. has helped. I think that having found someone in my life, I've since remarried, mm -hmm. and this person is very supportive of me. Um, and um, in in many different ways, mm -hmm. this this kind of there's new support mm -hmm. for what I do, and it's it's 
it really makes a difference when you are are are, are doing work that it's not going to make you rich. It's not going to make you, right. you know, um, have a, a, you know, an easy time of certain things. There's mm-hmm. people who oppose what I do. There's people, you know, because, you know, this is like saying that's a problem with the food industry or, right. or, um, or how dare you say something about, you know, this company that I love, right. You know, right. I will buy their product, you know, until no I die. What. I don't care. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but to have someone who supports you and, um, not only when you're in this mode of the work mm-hmm. that I do, but also outside of it, mm. um, you know, that, that, that looks out for me to make, that makes sure that I, I do things that are totally unrelated to, to food. Yeah. Um, and I have actually seen, I went to a therapist for a while mm-hmm. and I basically said, look, I read about food. I write about food. I speak about food. I talk about food. I advise about food. Yeah. I buy food at the store. I eat right. food at home. Everything I do is about food. food I have to right. do something that is outside of this. Yeah. I have to, you know, get a hobby. Um, get a hobby. Yeah. Find something uh, else to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and initially there's this guilt of, well, how, why do I deserve to have a hobby if my son mm. doesn't? Yeah. Why do I deserve to have to find satisfaction in life if my son doesn't? Why do I why do I deserve uh, to be happy? Is is this question I end up asking myself? But mm-hmm. I do think about sustainability. That idea of yeah. if I want to sustain what I do, mm-hmm. I have to be healthy enough to do it. That's right. You know, if if I want to sustain what's good in in my processing, then I have to sustain my health around that right. uh, in order to do that. And so it was this kind of third years in the making, mm-hmm. if you will, you know, switch that had to flip in, in, in my thinking in terms mm-hmm. of thinking about myself doesn't take me away from what I'm doing. Thinking right. about my health, thinking about my, my physical health, my mental health, whatever helps me be more successful in it what does. I'm doing. And, you know, no one teaches you that. You know, no one, you know, nowhere in my high school diploma or my, my, my college degrees, where's, was there that, that, you know, you got to work hard, you got to work hard. And by the way, uh, don't die of a heart attack. At right. <laughs> there was no, on- <laughs> yeah, there were no like posters up in school and elementary school that said like, get good grades, behave well, be a good citizen, and also yeah. take naps and take rest yeah. and take care there's of yourself. The, there's a poster of the cat holding on there, you know? Yeah, it's hang like, in there, hang right? <laughs> well, there's no poster of the of the grieving father and it said, no. you know, don't no. forget about your own mental and physical health. Yeah, kind of a, kind of exactly. a, a poster. Exactly. That would have helped. That would have been helpful. I'm, and uh, yeah, note to teachers, let's put those in the classroom. So. We're going to switch gears a bit, Darren, and this is a part of the podcast where I like to allow my my listeners to get to know a little bit more about my guests as as people, you know, and and even with a story like yours, you've shared so much about your experience as a father and an activist and and really a change maker. And so, before each podcast, I send a questionnaire over to my de- my guests and I ask them some pretty fun questions or questions that I find interesting. And so- And I do not remember these at all. And it's okay. <laughs> and I, I I plan it that way, Darren. I oh, plan okay. it for that. <laughs> and sometimes the answers will change, which is totally fine. So one of the questions that I like to ask every guest is, 
If you could reside anywhere in the world, where would it be and, and why? I would imagine that I said near the beach or the, beach the coast. Uh, the beach and um, coast sounds great to me. <laughs> I love the beach. <laughs> I, uh, I think that I've lived most of my life near the water and I have found that some of my happiest times uh, have have been near the water and um, yeah there you go what's yeah. what did, what did I say well I can tell you what you said you said in a place where school children are protected more than the ability to own military grade assault weapons and this is how I know Darren is an activist guys he's an activist he wants oh. to live by the beach and also a place where children are safe that's what I like about you yeah, I, I like that you're. I like you're, my first answer. I like your first answer better. <laughs> yeah, I like but the beach. That, those could be the same place. Those could be the same place. Yes, we can have beach life and safe children. I think both can exist. So the next question I have is, and this is another fun one. So uh, I was I was sharing this with my son. I said, you know, I ask this question every podcast, and he said, eventually, mom, you're going to have to change the the denomination of this number that you're asking people about. And I said, okay, fine. So for now, my question is, if you woke up, Darren, tomorrow morning with an extra $100 million in your bank account, what is the first thing you would do? I probably said, um, pay off all my debts and then travel around the world. That's exactly right. That's exactly, you actually said the exact same thing. You said after taking care of some responsibilities, um, basic logistics, I'd go to the airport with my wife, but nothing but our passports yes. and buying a ticket on the next available flight. No plans, no reservations, just luggage and an open mind. So yeah, I love that. I love that sense of adventure. Another question I ask is, what is your favorite dessert? Hmm. Uh, my favorite dessert is, um, probably, um, chocolate cake with German coconut frosting or something like that. Okay. So coconut seems to be a good, a, a one of your favorites. So we said, you said Boston cream pie with coconut shavings. Oh, so well, I was like, it's pretty much the shavings. same thing. It's pretty yeah, much the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. So the next part of our conversation is a little game I like to call complete the sentence. So I'm going to give you a couple of sentence prompts and you can complete them taking up as much or as little space as you'd like. The first one is, I know I'm fed up when Mm, I know I'm fed up when um, I, I, uh, I fight the urge not to vent about it to my wife. <laughs> I understand that. The next one is I am happiest when? I'm happiest when I'm busy. Um, with a lot of things going on and that doesn't have to be work. It could also be, you know, family and, and things like that. My, my youngest son's 26 and he visited me uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and we were very busy. I didn't do anything work related that whole week, but I was extremely happy with all the things that we were doing. Oh, I love that. The next one is, I know I've made an impact when... I know I made, I know I've made an impact when people 
come up to me in totally random scenarios sometimes uh, because they recognize me or my work. Um, I was at a concert a while back at the House of Blues in Anaheim mm -hmm. and a woman came up to me and she goes, are you the guy? And it's loud. It's dark. It's crowded. It's, you know, it's a concert, right? It's, yeah. It was like 80s night or something like that. And she's like, are you the guy? And she said, she said a word. It will make no sense to your audience, but she said a word that to me, that was like a trigger word. Like she clearly knows of a case I was involved in. Okay. And um, I connected with her on LinkedIn afterwards. And it turns out she's a, um, a, a, a food safety expert and who trains mm -hmm. on this. And she's shown a, every month she shows this video clip that I'm in. Um, I was at an event in Pittsburgh a few weeks back mm -hmm. and a woman came up to me out of the blue. I was there with my wife. We we're walking around, you know, someone handed us a glass of wine or whatever. And she goes, Oh my God, you're the guy. And she goes, I just read your book and I'm taking a class and it's required reading in this, this course I'm taking in, in Michigan. And, and uh, that was again, one of those kind of weird experiences mm -hmm. where it's like, you recognize me from this, but you went out of your way to, to do that. And um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's weird because many times when I'm dealing with families who are impacted by food safety, they have no idea who I am. Mm, okay. And I, I guess that's good. Mm -hmm. right? I don't want people to, to know who I am necessarily because right. usually it's after the worst things that could possibly happen to right. a family have taken place. Right. But when people in the industry um, who I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, um, kind of reach out and, and uh, let me know that I've made an impact, that's, that's, yeah. that's very fulfilling. I love that. I love that. And the last one is something most people don't know about me is. Uh, something most people don't know about me uh, is that um, uh, when I was a kid, I think I was extremely influenced by two TV shows, and I can see some parallels in my life today. There was a TV show called The Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, remember that? I remember that um, show, yeah the quote unquote average guy is pulled mm -hmm. into a situation out of his control. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that transforms himself into um, a, a, a relatively unsung hero. Mm -hmm. um, now, mind you, uh, $6 million in technology mm -hmm. in the seventies was allegedly involved in that. Yeah. Um, and there's another show called Emergency, uh, which okay. was about uh, L.A. County, uh, the beginnings of, of paramedics with the fire department. And okay. These two, these two firefighter paramedics would every episode would would save people and, you know, put mm -hmm. put the saving of, of strangers ahead of their own their own safety. Mm -hmm. And I look at some parallels in terms of of what that did to me in terms of of you can be transformed and your life can change mm -hmm. and the need to think about uh, how you can help others. Um, I sometimes draw back to that show and I've been very fortunate to not only meet up with um, with with Lee Majors who played the oh, wow. man, but also Randolph Mantooth and Kevin Ty who played the two paramedics. Um, and, you know, many years later, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, um, being able to share with them how much of an impact their portrayal of these these um, these heroes, these mm -hmm. everyday man kind of heroes, made on my life, and um, um, 
and I have the lunch boxes from each of those TV shows oh, in my office cool. as a reminder of, of how something, you know, from your past can be seen as a thread in, in, in your career or the direction you decide to take your life. Oh, I love that. So the last thing I like to do on my podcast, and I've been doing this from the very beginning, is um, I have this little Oracle deck of cards and they have really delightful messages on each one of them. So I just want to ask you, Darren, to, there's 52 cards in the deck, just select a number between one and 52. Uh, 51. 51, that is a first. Thank you for picking a new number. So the message on number 51 says, just say no. K-N-O-W. And the, the further message or the deeper message from that says the divine buzz. Everybody has a different phrasing for it. Being in the now, a connection with all that is, living in the moment. Here's the thing. There are no words that can truly explain it, but you know you can feel it. Savor it for all it's worth. Be in the know. That's, that's very powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is the end of our conversation today. And I just want to say, I'm so grateful that our schedules aligned for us to finally be able to sit down and connect with each other again. The work that you're doing and the work that you have done is, is truly inspirational, especially for as a parent, as a mom. I think about how I can make this world better for my child and better for the next generation of children that come after after me. And I think that it takes so much strength and courage, like you mentioned earlier, to be able to continue to be active and also to not only make the world a better place for those who come after you, but make the world a better place for you as well. So I just appreciate you, Dr. Darren, for sitting down with me and for sharing so openly. And I want to give space if there's anything that is going on, any classes or courses or also just ways for people to stay in touch with you and learn more about the work that you're doing. If you could share that with us now, then um, then that'll be all of that the time that we're going to be spending together Great. today. Well, I would recommend people keep an eye out for late 2022 or early 2023. I've been involved in a Netflix documentary about uh, food safety that looks at the event 30 years ago and, and what changes have been made out there. And, you know, right now there's, there's no shortage, unfortunately, of, of news about outbreaks. Mm. Um, you know, pay attention to some of these things because usually by the time people find out, it's because there's a reason why they're seeking out information and understanding um, that, you know, there may be an outbreak or a recall that, that, that could impact you. Um, um, I don't want people to be afraid. I don't want people to live in a bubble and, and be afraid of this. Um, but, but I think that we can make very much like your card number 51. Um, you know, we, we, we can make educated decisions and we, we can learn more about uh, the factors that are impacting our lives and, and our families. And, and, and the more we know, perhaps the, the, the better decisions and actions we'll take. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much, Dr. Darren. I appreciate your time. Thank you for connecting with me. Thank you for staying so diligent about the work that you're doing. I know that the information that you've shared here today is going to touch at least one person or enlighten or inform or educate someone. And that's why these conversations are so important to have. So I appreciate you. Thank you very much. 
it's time to wrap this up and I just want to say very sincerely thank you you have your choice of thousands of different podcasts that you could be listening to each day and I appreciate you for choosing this to be one of them right now in this moment I see the light I see the love the wisdom the beauty the prosperity the creativity and the pure joy that shines within each of you and I bow humbly before your divinity namaste